You're in town is taken. In honor of In the Heights, what would a musical based on your hometown be called? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and I'm just going to steal uh, something from Notting Hill. It's going to be called Horse and Hound, and they're going to figure out how to make horses dance. I don't know how, but it'll be fun to watch. I am Matt Patches, and they already made a movie, or they made a musical out of Rocky, uh, which I forgot until just now. Uh, so I'll have to go further out of Philadelphia, and I'll just say Patch of East Town. Doesn't that sound like a fun musical? Where'd I come mm-hmm. up with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's me, Dave with the Seven, and I'm going to go with Between Broomfield and Boulder, because that's where the town of Louisville, Colorado is located. And that just sounds like better than we tell out of towners we're from Boulder or something <laughs> to that effect. <laughs> I feel like I could have come up with an Aiken pun if I'd given myself more time to think about it. Work on this. I'm Aiken for you. <clears throat> Aiken for love. Aiken for love. We used to have a craft fair called Aiken's Macon. Maybe that should just be. Aiken for defunding the police. It'd be a great musical. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's hot. Hot. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 352. It is pandemic N64. Does that mean we all get a uh, gaming consoles? Yeah, we made it far enough to play Goldeneye together. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, it's the week of Wednesday, June 9th. That's the day that in 1949, uh, 1984 was published. I always thought that it was published in 1948 because it was 1984 was 48 backwards. But according to Dave, it was published in 1949. I guess no, it was according to googling a website like oh. what happened on this day. So like, well, maybe he, he wrote it in 19. Yeah, that that would. 40. That would hold up. Um, David's not with us this week. He's not anywhere. He'll be back next week. Um, so he's not around to read reviews or threaten to talk about something boring. Although we will say I have one locked and loaded. I have a boring thing to lecture on about if no one leaves us a review. But someone left us a review. You've all been spared. We did. You should tell him what it is because otherwise it's not a threat. Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to talk about the royal family in excruciating detail and just like go through <laughs> Queen Elizabeth's family tree. So get oh, ready. I was, yeah, I was going to ask which watch. royals you were going to talk no, about. No, if you talk about Harry and Meghan, that's fun. Like you want to go into the like the really deep bench of like who Prince Philip is related to. Oof. All right. Well, let's let's see what's sparing us from the royals this week. <laughs> uh, this is from I Miscounted the Men, Liz. <laughs> who says, fantastic podcast, five stars. A podcast so good, I spent half an hour figuring out how to create Aww. a U.S. Apple ID to write this review. <laughs> that said, I was sad to hear that you guys are retiring the Galaxy of Heroes threat without what? giving David himself a chance to speak on it. Oh. I'm not sure what the rules are for the review section, but could you, David, give us a taste of what would have been said in lieu of, <laughs> Thank <laughs> God, David's not here again. This was time. Um, I did get my C-3PO, though, in between here and there. You're not just an update this on is that. not allowed. Maybe in the form of a one to two minute monologue on the topic. Regardless of how that request shakes out, I'd love listening to you all. It's a wonderful podcast. Here's like here's a good test. I'm interested in entertaining this idea if David listens to this podcast because he claims he listens to podcasts he's not on. But I don't think he give does. him a word that he has to tell you that he would not. He can't make up. He can't pull this one out. What what's the the code word for this episode? Uh, Sith holocron. Okay, <laughs> that's not something David would normally say. Good conversation, <laughs> luckily. No. Uh, but that's our review for this week. Thank you very, thank you very much. 
Uh, we're going to talk about The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Um, and I said I was going to say this. I'm just going to start the segment this way. I've never seen any of The Conjuring movies. The only attachment I have to The Conjuring movies is that I visited the set of the first one with Dave Gonzalez mm-hmm. in Wilmington, North Carolina, long before I lived in North Carolina. And uh, my best friend from high school came and visited, and we closed down a karaoke bar. And it was really fun. Wait, back and- up to the part that's more applicable to this uh, podcast. No, 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 no. I think we need to talk about Wilmington's karaoke bars. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's what I meant. Back up to the beginning of the karaoke night. And what songs were you singing in the Wilmington bar? Uh, that's a great question. I have no idea. I almost guarantee you that I did Nookie by Limp Bizkit. <laughs> because I could, I could do it without the music. So anytime I'm like anywhere on the maybe too drunk scale or in a new place... You yeah. hit it with the nookie. This is, I mean, this is a period where we were all doing a lot of karaoke all in the same spot. So it's kind oh, of hard man. to remember that. I know. Nostalgic. I know. Um, and then I never saw The Conjuring. Back then it was <laughs> called like the Untitled Warren Project or That's something. Right. Yes. It is about right. the, the Warrens. And the Warrens um, are heavily involved in this franchise, it should be said. Who are yeah, the Yeah, they were, they were there at this episode. The we Warrens, the elderly Warrens were there were on they? the set? Uh, one elder, the, the still living elderly Warren was there. Oh, okay. Uh, right. But they're now both dead. But Lorraine was there. Deranged. We got to meet Lorraine. It's oh, like wait. we're making uh, a movie based on like the horrific things that you've seen in your life. Would you like to come visit? Would and you talk guys to like to press? come get very thing, wealthy off of this? And, I mean, that is exactly what their entire career has been, and what it's going to make me just rail on this movie. You the mean Conjur- that their entire career is a hoax, and that they've made money off of it over and over again? Or yes, but also uh, how now? By entertaining this, uh, uh, the reverberations are causing like crimes against good horror movies. Uh, the Conjuring, the Devil Maybe Do It, is the third Conjuring movie to star the Warrens specifically to be based off a because there is quote, a Conjuring cinematic universe. Yes, it is the eighth movie in the Conjuring <laughs> oh, cinematic universe. It's can you Russian... name them all? Well, uh, Dave's got the Wikipedia page open, right? Don't look. Uh, oh, oh, okay. I'm gonna try and name all the without looking. So there's the Conjuring, the Conjuring Two, the Conjuring, the Devil Made Me Do It, Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, Annabelle Returns Home. What? And really? Annabelle, yeah, comes Annabelle comes home. home. Annabelle comes home. Annabelle comes home. Um, uh, the Nun, uh, the Curse of y- La yes. L- Yorna. Yes, that is the that's the eighth one. That I think the, you got them all. That's the twist one. Yeah. Yeah, although I know uh, The Curse of y- y- Yorna, I didn't see it, uh, but it was made by uh, the director by, who made this movie. Oh. Um, uh, Part of the he's family. Ta- yeah, he's taken over for James Wan. He's proven he's done the Conjuring <laughs> universe before, and so why not come in to wrap up the Warren trilogy? Uh, is this supposed to be the last one? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess spoilers. Uh, is this the last one? No. Uh, no. No. <laughs> Uh, I, I wish there's uh, supposed to be a second nun movie, but there is good. Uh, yeah, in terms of we don't know if there's going to be another uh, one, but we do know that uh, you know uh, we're progressing through time with the Warrens um, uh, and Vera Farmiga and uh, God, who plays Ed Warren, the guy Patrick Wilson. Thank you, um, Patrick Wilson. Um, are Orm. you know 
they're uh, aging along with the Warrens, and do you really want to see them as like action heroes in this? Like, well, I'm the hoping future? we get a movie about that time she visited the set of The Conjuring, where you guys were at the karaoke bar. The weirdest oh, thing yeah. I didn't mention Vera Farmiga was singing karaoke with us. <laughs> the Ooh. weirdest thing about uh, having Lorraine Warren on the set of The Conjuring is they did what they did throughout their entire paranormal hunting career, which is assert that this is all fucking real when it's that's a ridiculous assertion that's a ridiculous assertion uh <laughs> why is it ridiculous i mean I, i'm a skeptic and i'm not i'm not by poking you in this way i'm not endorsing yes. paranormal activity but why is it so ridiculous um ghosts aren't real uh demons okay that would be a big one <laughs> uh, i mean that's just i feel like a fact ghosts aren't real I don't know. Are ghosts okay. real? Vera Farmiga mm. seems to think that ghosts are, are ghosts real. Are ghosts real? I mean, here's the thing. Ghosts aren't real. I mean, I, this isn't a question. <laughs> this is something I'm communicating to you guys. So it's fun to have ghost stories and like horror movies. Love them. Ghosts aren't real. Uh, so it's really weird to be on a film set with James Wan of the Saw franchise trying to kick off another franchise for New Line who has just dunked Freddy Krueger in the let's be serious so badly that Rooney Mara thought it was going to end her career and they need something else. (laughs) So what they do is they cash in on the life of the Warrens and what James Wan did successfully for two Conjuring movies is take cases of the Warrens and turn them into like very nice PG-13 thrill ride horror movies that depend on... Uh, you know, building tension to scares that aren't necessarily like gory, um, but they're frightening and it's like a nerve fest and it's kind of fun for that. And then the first movie is about a family that gets possessed, and the second movie is about a family that gets possessed by a demon nun that is possessing a ghost that is in that family's home. Wow. And all those things seem like fine ghost stories and it's fun this one is based on a real life court case where a dude stabbed his landlord and in court uh because the warrens happened to have performed an exorcism on his girlfriend's uh little brother uh a few weeks before he stabbed him uh the warrens convinced him to plead that uh the he was possessed, uh, not guilty by reason of demonic possession. In real life, the judge says that's ridiculous, and it gets thrown out. We it makes a lot of news as the devil made me do it case because that's a like a weird, ridiculous uh, yeah, defense. Um, but in the conjuring, the devil made me do it. We have the events. We start with the exorcism of the little boy. Very real. Very the conjuring. Uh, stuff we've seen before, but, you know, uh, the action's been pumped up right at the beginning. It's like coming in a James Bond movie. You're thinking like, oh, we're going to see the Warrens do something else. Sort of like how we saw them at the Amityville house briefly at the beginning of the second one. Uh, then the demon jumps to the guy who at some point kills his landlord. And then he pleads not guilty by reason of demonic possession and then the rest of the movie happens, and then there's an end scene where uh, he's being sentenced. And we don't get to hear the sentence, because the reality is he got, you know, like, sentenced to, for 
killing the guy um uh because he didn't have the like demonic possession uh thing and otherwise he didn't have the paperwork for demonic possession exactly this movie assumes that they skip over the part where it wasn't allowed in court and they just deal with the demonic possession so this gets possessed uh he goes to prison the demon starts telling him to kill himself and uh they have to get this demon out of the kid I'm thinking, oh, cool, it's, like, gonna be another exorcism movie, but, like, in a prison with the Warrens, like, that didn't happen, but, like, none of this happened. Uh, the Warrens made it all up in the first place, so why do I care if someone else is making it all up on top of another story? No, no! Like, I guess because it takes place <laughs> in the 80s, we get into, uh, like, uh, demonic panic stuff, but not in a tongue-in-cheek way. In A, there is, like, a Moriarty Satanist uh, so scary uh, mm-hmm. that we have to have they have to uh, roll John Noble out, who looks very old, to tell you how serious it is. If uh, you know Satanist, like I've seen, I tried to prosecute these Satanists, and uh, my defense lawyer's like wife was pregnant and her child was born with its heart outside of its body. Like you don't want to mess with like a master Satanist. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? It's all fun and games when like say the nun you start off a movie and you see like a priest or like a satanist like actually try to raise a demon from hell and then like a demon comes up from hell and then all the catholic priests and nuns are like no we got to seal it back in that's like a fun sort of monster movie this is taking like a weird panic and attaching it to a real murder and then treating it all sort of seriously with the base being that don't the Warrens really, like, love each other? Which has been the base of all three films and is what has got them in some legal trouble because there's, like, some assertions that Ed Warren kept, like, a 15-year-old paramour living in their house uh, that he <coughs> maybe impregnated. <laughs> oh. Um, oh. And then uh, Lorraine knew about this the whole time and encouraged this woman to get an abortion this is what this woman made a sworn statement to uh right after the first movie came out and claimed to be based on a true story one of the producers of that movie wrote warner brothers being like hey uh i've looked into the warrens and maybe we shouldn't portray them in a certain light apparently according to the hollywood reporter the original contract that allowed for the conjuring to be made the untitled warren film contract uh, said that uh, one of the stipulations is the couple wouldn't be portrayed as having any extramarital affairs ever or any affairs with like underage peoples, which Whoa. could be just a I weird can't thing. The you filmmakers throw in. would have been very, pushing for that anyway. It's very so. specific. So all I'm saying is uh, I was forgiving of this when it seemed like it had a sense of fun, when it was like a fun horror movie. Same way mm. it's like when James Wan's doing Saw and there's like a kineticism to it and that's like new. I had fun with the early Saw movies. I thought they were dumb, stupid fun. I feel the same way about the Conjuring movies and the Conjuring universe, except the core trilogy of Warren films. Annabelle, hilarious. Um, not necessarily good movies, but hilarious. It's like about like a weaving themselves and twisting themselves into a killer doll. The Nun, completely made up character. Uh, also... I think kind of like, you know, why not have a fun supernatural horror film about this? Once you start adapting things 
I already felt weird about adapting like exorcisms because those are like usually in from my point of view and from what I've read um tortures um pr- like applied to people having mental crises um at least if you do it in like a theatrical way where it's very obvious that person has a demon in it like the conjuring series does I'm okay with it this is like a dude who stabbed his landlord who was also his girlfriend's boss tried yeah, to I th- plead well, not guilty because from your of description demonic and, and reading some other things about it um you know I I have not uh, jumped in this movie and I'm not actually caught up with the, with the conjuring movies either for some reason I love James Wan uh Aquaman was on my top 10 Furious 7 one of the best entries or I enjoy the saw I actually don't <laughs> care for the insidious I got to be honest but his movies that no one has seen like Death Sentence. Um, those, those are cool. I like James Wan. Um, was surprised to hear that this movie kind of pivots to true crime. And it seems like it's getting kind of caught up in a lot of what we complain about with true crime as opposed to horror, um, where it's, it's, uh, uh, not, but, but, it's, it's making entertainment out of something that it doesn't have, be. It doesn't have the structure of building to scares through like tension. It has the structure of a true crime thing. It's like you got to investigate, mm. you got to find the person, you got to put together the different murders and the di- like. She, the Lorraine psychically solves like a, another girl murder. They're like, oh, this is also a possession. You know, they got to find the clues. There is a wall uh, at one point where they're like, why aren't these like things matching up? And then they move another point. They're like, oh my god, that's where they like. All of that happens. James Wan doesn't depend on that. He's doing haunted house movies. Uh, that is building tension in that way. It it just doesn't work in this way because it's fucking ridiculous. They're treating serious subject matter with like, oh, it's a serious Satanist and it's a serious woman Satanist and that's fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it, Instead of providing thrills, it has like a vague feeling of like punching down to, to hmm. someone like I don't even know exactly. But do you feel like this is a it, it's ridiculous because of the past of the franchise, like the expectations of the franchise? Like, why do Fincher movies work? Why? I mean, why do? It seems like this idea on paper could potentially function dramatically. But... I mean, fin yeah. Um, uh, except that basically, I remember I, there was a Community episode where Abed basically made fun of all the autistic uh, crime shows or like house or something where somebody's able to just like through like a mental acuity, like think their way through a problem. Um, Lorraine Warren's power is as made up. And so it plays that dumb in this particular setting. It's like, she's going to go and magic her way to a solution that is not going to be provable in court. (laughs) Uh, it's you can't just be like because you know the Warrens would have loved that they would have been able to sell more books and like uh, you know movies had that actually happened, but it's just we're getting to this point. These people are dead. The actors are great in the parts, but this part of the franchise should die. This core part it should be a trilogy. The Warrens need to be, be put out to pasture. Mm. If it needs to be a true crime investigation thing, split off one of their other weird. Maybe that cases. was the premise. Like maybe that's what they need to. do. To do they needed to make a bad Warren's movie so they could stop making Warren movies. 
There is like a dude who's helping them uh, in this uh, case. Yeah. Do you to wrap up? Do you see spinoff potential? Conjuring three. Every the both Conjuring movies have had their own. We got Annabelle. We got the Nun out of Conjuring two. What's Conjuring three spinoff territory? Uh. They uh so that like they make their own institute right the Warrens in real life the New England Institute of Psychic Research or the something Warren School of Gifted Children yeah pass off one of their other cases there's like a, another like weird Philadelphia like uh haunting of like you know Ooh. normal suburban white people hell if that patches that's your hometown yeah. uh, musical right yeah there. yeah haunting haunting of East Town. But don't don't have the Warrens do it. Have the Warrens be too busy lecturing or making money on some bullshit and just pass it off to a new range of Ghostbusters. Like, but make it another Haunted House movie. That's what I'm coming to The Conjuring for. I don't know why they thought I would want to come to The Conjuring for some supernatural mystery. I mean, they probably thought that they've done the Haunted House thing to death. To death! To death! Yeah, that's the other thing. is this, This doesn't have any sort of final notes, so I'm sure that, you know... If the two stars could be convinced to come back, they'll they'll do it. Because they obviously are not reading the scripts like they used to. Ouch. I uh I just read the Wikipedia summary and it, the last line of the plot. Um can I just re- is this a spoiler? I'm just gonna read it. The, if it's the last, the last line of the Wikipedia page, I assume it is a spoiler. So Apparently the last thing that happens in Conjuring Three is Ed shows Lorraine a replica of the gazebo in which they first met. Oh yep. dear. <laughs> That's, that's how the movie ends. <laughs> yeah, that's how it ends. They're like, oh. Spoilers for The Conjuring 3. They love each other. Let's not talk about the maybe 15-year-old we kept in the attic. He he built a gazebo. He built a gazebo. That was the after credits. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Conjuring yeah. 3. It's, it's on HBO theaters. now. And HBO Max. All right. <laughs> Uh, all right, we'll talk about something else that's on HBO Max that I've seen, although I have not seen as much as has aired, so we won't talk about it in too much detail. Hacks. It's a half-hour comedy. And can I tell you how much I love a half-hour comedy where it's something new and exciting that I'm watching and it doesn't last very long and then I can just like, <laughs> go to bed? <laughs> Why um, does this show feel new to you, like, and fresh? N- People are talking about Hacks. I've seen one episode of Hacks. Jean Smart, I love her to death. She's playing an old comedian lady. Isn't this Mrs. Maisel, like the sequel where she's old? <laughs> um wait isn't that fine well yeah, mrs mazel okay. is an hour long i wish um, jean smart was still playing her character from mayor of easttown my grandmother as a comedian mm, i think that's yeah. what's missing for me here no she's playing more of just like fancy jean smart with a lot of money um you know it's not like the best comedy that i've ever seen but jean <laughs> smart is incredible on it um she's paired up with hannah einbender who's playing this kind of this young comedy writer and she Feels like a very real kind of person who I know who like thinks she's smarter than everybody. Like she's kind of down on her heels because she tweeted something that everyone found offensive. So no one will hire her for a TV job. And she keeps like running into her old friends who just like don't want anything to do with her. Like that feels relevant on some level. Like, you know, it's building up to this unlikely friendship between the two of them. But there's kind of this genuine causticness between them for a long time that I've really enjoyed. I really like having spent some time in Las Vegas, like going to CinemaCon way back in the day. It is fun to get this glimpse of, you know, it, the pandemic doesn't exist in the show. So they're just wandering around Vegas and you're like, wow, that place looks awful. And these people live there all the time. <laughs> um, and 
again, it's a half an hour. And I love spending more time with Jean Smart, especially after Mayor of Easttown. Like in Mayor of Easttown, she's like funny in her like handful of scenes and you kind of like feel her mastery at work. And in this you get, you know, you watch these like extended stand-up sequences. You see like clips of her. I guess they just like did some um like Michael Douglas de-aging to like show her in the eighties and seventies doing stand-up. Um I'm no stand-up expert, so I have no idea how much this adds up with proper history, but I like it. And it's made me watch Designing Women, which is on Hulu. <laughs> you do love Designing Women. I feel like do you love this I up. love Designing Women. Do you find, I mean, that's what I wanted to, to drill down here very momentarily, which is just like, what do you think the vibe is? Because the show comes from uh, a trio of people. Uh, let me name them. Uh, Lucia Aniello, Paul W. Downs, Jen Statsky. They've worked on Broad City. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Jen, who I'm lucky I got to go to college with, Jen Zatsky. Very funny oh. person. She uh, worked on, I know she worked on Parks and Rec. She worked on Good Place. These shows are nothing like Hacks. No. And what, so what do you think the vibe of what Hacks? People seem to be of Hacks? falling in love with the show, but um, it has a very strange, like, it's kind of like Louie. It's kind of like the, uh, are we allowed yeah. to say that? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean. <laughs> Is it like um, No, it's not really like Broad City. It's not, it's like. Antic as curb your enthusiasm, but it's like observed in a similar way. Um, I don't know, man. I need to think about it. It has like a real, it has a real HBO vibe to it. Like it feels not like the good place or Parks and Rec. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have that like cheerfulness to it. I don't know. Louie might be the yeah, comparison. It's almost, is it, would you say it's like oh, girls? God, so is it like girls? girls? Um, it's kind of that vibe, except it's finally not about just yeah, a bunch and of it's about friends. a generational divide. Like you know, th- there's like I don't think there's been a character right. like Deborah Vance, the Gene Smart character, on any versions of this kind of show. I don't know. Not aimed at uh no, this is not like hot in Cleveland <laughs> or something either. Um, finally, hot in Cleveland gets its girls version uh yeah no hacks is is totally enjoyable goes down very easy and i don't know in the streaming era where there's so many shows and so little i want to watch <laughs> hacks is like a new thing that oh and let me and uh and shout out to so meg stalter who plays um the assistant of uh paul w downs is like the creator and he plays the um main character's agent and he's just like and he was the like gym guy on Broad City. Funny. Like he seems very aware that he's like the hot dude, but then keeps casting himself in like roles that play into that well. And the uh, Meg Salter plays his assistant, and she's just like this complete idiot who is the daughter of the owner of the agency, and she's just really, really funny in her tiny handful of scenes. And I think she has an episode where she gets to do more that I haven't seen yet that has already aired. Megan, if you're listening. You know I don't, you know I don't know. You know her Pat, too? Give us, re- give us a review on Apple. <laughs> I have a macro topic on this movie. I, I don't know how our conversation is going to flow here. If you have notes uh, that you want to guide us through, no, but... no, I don't have notes. Let's just <laughs> let's let's start here. Let's just Flight float yeah. float over the topics like we're touring the United States in a spacecraft yeah. that doesn't flying back into segment three. Uh, like we're looking for Florida somewhere. <laughs> we knew it was somewhere around. Here. Where is Fort Lauderdale? Where we got to go to? We must find Fort Lauderdale. Gator Adventure. What's the name of that place that he finds? Gatorland. Gatorland. That, that sounds right. That sounds like something that happens in Florida. <laughs> he finds the beach. 
We're going to talk about Flight of the Navigator. It's a movie that was released in 1986. You can currently stream it on Disney+, Plus, and I have fond memories of watching it as a child. Thrilled to go back and discover that basically all my memories are accurate. Because I was trying to think about it, and I'm like, maybe I'm remembering two different movies. Because in <laughs> one movie, a kid from 1978 gets ported forward in time, and it seems super traumatic because his parents look older, his younger brother is his older brother, which, as an older sibling, was the most traumatic thing that could possibly happen with time travel. Nothing possibly like, oh my worse. God. Yeah. And the tone of that is very traumatic. The kid is in the hospital being like, what the fuck is going on? It sucks. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, we don't know what happened to you. And he could like maybe go home and just try to like tough it out and like live this new life. But like also NASA's like, we could provide you with some real answers. And you're like, whoa, why could NASA provide you with some real answers? So he scarily gets taken to NASA. And we realize that NASA has like this... Uh, silver walnut looking spaceship and it's somehow using david's mind the main kid's named david uh maybe also why that's uh, why david can't yeah no th- yet another week here in flight of the oh uh, it's Never. like the the sequel to harvey firestein and a movie with a lot of people going david david yeah with a lot of people going david. <laughs> <laughs> um so it, it it turns out that this uh spaceship can like talk through his mind and it's kind of like scary and it looks like maybe he's gonna, you know, have uh, a very young Sarah Jessica Parker to, like, anchor him to this new world. But then, about halfway through the movie, he finds the spaceship, and he gets in the spaceship. And then it becomes this other movie that I remembered maybe as a second separate movie, because I couldn't remember the connecting part. But then suddenly, it's like the ship is talking with, like, a jokey voice and misusing slang, and yeah, it's like up Shrek ne- or something. Yeah. It's like, like there's an ET joke. There's an ET joke in the second geeks. half of the movie. I'm like, yeah, you yeah. can't say that. Well, and, and the <laughs> a violation, and it's voiced by Paul Rubens, Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens. Wait, who you don't recognize until he does the like laugh, and you're like, oh shit. Yes, he has to pe- laugh like a human. <laughs> you yeah. also recognize because he's credited as Paul Mall, which is a weird thing for Disney to be like, yeah, sure, let's get like Pee Wee Herman at the height of his popularity. To like voice a character and let him use a like screen name, it makes no sense. It's very strange. Uh, but a lot of this movie doesn't make any sense. Um, anyway, he's in the spaceship. He pees by some cows. He uh-huh. tries to go home uh, because he figures he's just gonna tough it out with his family. The spaceship tells him it took him and made him lose all those years, and he, it was gonna you know, like return him back to his normal life, but that process would kill him. So he should, he should just go home. They're like, great. They spend the rest of the movie getting home. He gets home. He's like, actually, I'd rather take like this life risk uh, that to like maybe go back to 1978 and try to tough it out here and be a science experiment. And the ship's like, okay, now that now that we've been through the, all this together, I suppose I could let this happen for you. Which parents- has only really been like 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. Even the, and then he's like, I'm going to miss you, Max. Although, Max hadn't they spent like the previous eight years together? Like, wasn't that the implication that they'd done all this stuff together? Where but he, had- has no, he has no... He, has, he, he doesn't, doesn't have a memory of it. And also, his parents are sitting there on the lawn being like, please come back home, our beloved child who was missing for eight years, and we shipped off to NASA with very few questions asked for a couple days. Yeah. And uh, so he goes back, he goes back to 1978, and you're like, maybe this kid just made it up, but there's a little alien in his bag. Yep. Oh, do-do-do-do-do-do. 
Uh, that alien, though, is from a planet that has been destroyed, so, like, don't feel too bad to it for it. Uh, <laughs> it didn't occur the movie... to me feel bad for the alien. <laughs> the movie, well, they, uh, they want to take the alien back to the planet before it's destroyed, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, that that's They can time true. travel it back to its place, and it can die rightfully with the rest of its population mm. in the way it chooses. Mm-hmm. So. But it, in, instead, it, it gets to be... We don't know how intelligent it is, but it gets to be a pet to this child who uh, I could only assume is going to track down a his age Sarah <laughs> Jessica Parker uh, now. Like, why wouldn't you? Oh, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I'm like, they are going to hook up. Yeah. First off, she definitely comes into his room at NASA and like flirts with him, and the door closes. He has a sliding door in his room that suggestively closes, and it clearly implies he goes and masturbates for the first time, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that is a coming-of-age moment, and uh, he will definitely go back in time and meet this girl. I mean, for for the first time, maybe in 1986, but come on. Let's see. Oh, she yeah. is. Oh, boy. yeah. She's, is 12. she's eight 12. years older than him uh, when this, the, the actors uh, that's when this perfect. Movie was filmed. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I thought almost that the implication could be that she was the girl he used to know. Yeah, that's what I thought on. it was going to be. Yeah. Because he's yeah. like creepily it's... looking at her through his binoculars. And his but no, no, nothing room. from the first half of this movie can connect to the second half of this movie. <laughs> no, you're absolutely we, right. Because we wouldn't have why are there, why are there like Muppet aliens in the second half of this movie when the first half of this movie is deeply traumatizing even rewatching it now i'm just like this kid i i was thinking there is such a great remake miniseries to make out of this like a prestige tv that's like the tone of arrival but this kid being trapped in like in the vortex of time and returning like you could have a prestige series on hb or on yes, disney plus yeah. or something like david but goes then, of missing course, in episode totally one and gears. you have like two episodes where david's just gone and then david comes back and you're like what the fuck yeah, I want to then, see a high gloss version that's heavy drama of this. That's Von it's Trurian like the almost. Uh, the episode of WandaVision where she ages up the kid or the kids age themselves up like all of a sudden. And like I'm watching this like, you know, in the middle of Raising Small Children being like, that's so horrifying. You just missed five years of their childhood. Right. And like WandaVision is like, da, da, da. Now we have older kids. When he <laughs> with the scene when his brother walks into his hospital room for the first and time. He's like and, lit and, and he's like lit in hallway. shadow in the hallway. It's so yes, it's weird. Like, it's actually great filmmaking. I, I think, well. I will say all around, and we'll get into it a little bit, and I hope people watch this movie before listening to this chat, because why are we talking so much about Flight of the Navigator? <laughs> it's baffling even as we do it. Um, but the, there's, the movie is, is accomplished. Uh, the director is uh, Randall Kleiser, who did Grease. And the guy has made movies. They play and a clip from blew up the kid. They play a clip from Greece uh, to like, like set it in 1978 at one point. Like they're listening to you're, you're the one that I want in the car. But I think the first half of the movie has some like great cinematography. Obviously, they're trying to achieve E.T. like wonder and atmosphere. And I'm not sure it ever gets there. I can't really tell anymore if what looks like a TV movie, quote unquote. Sometimes this looks like a TV movie, but I can't really tell if that's just shooting movies in the style of the 80s. Um, but there, there's real like texture to it. And the special effects were groundbreaking at the time and still look pretty amazing i gotta say like the, they designed this ship they built a model of this i, I was doing some research on just the making of flight of the navigator um and and they built replicas of this thing and for the first time ever used kind of reflective mapping i feel like i'm stealing dave's part of the show here this is like <laughs> no 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 go animation for talk i'll just tell you like, if you're wrong but you're still you're still you're still right on great yeah and you and you really notice this like super sleek spaceship flying through the clouds or flying through a sunset or flying over the ocean and you totally underestimate that effect in movies today where 
you know, if a if a spaceship in I I was thinking of Attack of the Clones has that super sleek silver spaceship that goes through Coruscant and it's just like reflecting everything and it's such a it's overload. This is the subtle version of that where it's like, hey, we're just getting the oranges and yellows of a sunset on this thing, but it's actually astounding even today. And maybe I'm, I became more aware of it because the first time we see the spaceship, it has like melting goo. <laughs> Uh, steps that also look those really things cool. look cool. Yeah, the melting goose steps are stop motion. Each one of those is a sm- sculpture made out of metal, of it dripping down and forming wow. into the steps. Wow. That is so cool. I mean, the steps are an interesting effect because they hover even when they're solidified and you can step on them. They're hovering, yeah. right? And I was looking for, I was kind of like trying to catch how they fake that. And I think, obviously, they're they're erasing elements that are propping up in certain shots but then in other shots they just frame the camera over the steps in such a way that it's creating an illusion there's a lot of illusion in play the navigator and my i was wowed as uh, as an adult in the year 2021 i can only imagine when i had seen this movie the first time that was melting my brain how cool it was yeah this is the the missing step in between the abyss water tentacle and the t-1000 is all mm-hmm. in play yeah. the navigator i thought about the <laughs> okay. t-1000 a lot um, yeah because that's Presages that every go ahead, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just too baffled by all the human behavior in this movie to be uh, as impressed by the visual effects as I probably should have, just because nobody behaves in a way that makes any sense at all. Like, mm-hmm. in, what do you mean? In, like, what, what? The part where like they're the cops find him and they like figure out where his parents might live, and they're like, he's like, where are we going? And they're like, we'll explain to you later. Don't worry about it. And they at least leave him in the car where they go knock on the door, being like, hey, did you report a missing kid eight years ago? And he just like runs out of the car. Like, all right, when he runs to his dad, they're like, hey, get back in the car. <laughs> no, no one is handling this situation well at all. And then when the NASA guys are like, oh, you don't want to send your kid with us. I guess you don't want to know the solution to the mystery. It's like, what? Like, are you dealing with trying to get a five-year-old to right. go to bed? Not yeah. that I know anything about that. There, there's something in this movie that happens a lot in movies that always annoys me, which is there's a scene when David um, is he's starting to hear the spaceship. I guess Max Max's voice in the, his brain oh. um, in the hospital, which is also frightening and weird, and. His brother, who is now older than him, is sitting by his side trying to like research weird phenomena and such. And he's like, I think, I think I'm hearing a voice. And his brother's like, nah, you're just having a dream. He's like, do you think I'm crazy? No, you're not crazy. You're just, you're having a weird dream. It's okay. Why would you think he's just having a weird dream? Like, your brother is 12 <laughs> and he has not aged and he has reappeared after eight years. Maybe if he's hearing an alien voice, it's possible it could happen. I don't know. I just, I would believe him a little more than you are now. Not everything's a bad dream. I just love how rational people can become in movies after something extraordinary has happened. So silly. He's definitely the, uh, yeah, but ghosts aren't real of that moment. <laughs> <laughs> right we have no idea how you've been like were you frozen in ice or something but no 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 there's no aliens cannot possibly exist this is earth okay uh, another uh one of my favorite another favorite thing about fly of the navigator this is alan silvestri's uh first fully digital score mm. he did it with keyboards after coming off back to the future part two i believe um oh no back to the just the first back to the future um, and it's interesting because sometimes it is super effective. I think this uh, movie has a really great like wonder score. It sort of like builds and it has some of like the E.T. quiet clinking. I like it. But then there are like multiple montages, at least one at the very beginning with dogs catching frisbees 
And then another one that we don't need where the kid has to hide in a robot that exists purely for the movie to be able to move him secretly across an Air Force base. Yep. But don't worry, we'll get to watch the robot move across the Air Force base. A um, lot of robot action shots. Yeah, where the where the soundtrack is just sort of like aggressively <laughs> mid-80s. <laughs> and it's just like going back and forth between those things. It's like the wonder of seeing the spaceship and like it's... It's great, and that still works. And then, like the action beats, where it's just like, and that sounds like a Casio. I gotta say, yeah, I, there's um, one. Oh, yeah. I tried watching this with Charlie, and we didn't get very far. But the uh, slow mo shot to the dogs catching frisbees, we all watched that. In detail. <laughs> what a great way to start a movie! We enjoyed it immensely. Uh, that's so funny. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of like eightyisms in the movie. I think the dogs is definitely one of them. The other one is what is the name of the robot helper that works at NASA? Another that like just cute in? weird thing. What the, the one that he yeah escapes that he escapes in? in. It's called like Ralph or something. Yeah, I think Ralph yeah. is right. I think it is Ralph. Yeah, and Ralph. Uh, Ralph is a robot who is autonomous and can deliver food, but also Sarah Jessica Parker's aide. She's an intern, as they say in the movie. Uh, She's I'd given love to know. far too much power. Yeah, NASA's intern program. So you allow the kid who has been psychically linked to an alien and had disappeared for eight years and never aged to interact with your intern who delivers food via a autonomous robot delivery thing. And uh, that seems lacking in security. I don't know much about NASA. But uh, uh, Ralph, there's a scene where Ralph is, yeah, he's tucked himself. David has tucked himself inside the robot. Plenty of room inside of him, of course. He delivers things. And the robot is just now driving him to the spaceship and taking its damn old time, like <laughs> it's there's a, and because it's an '80s movie, it's the sun is setting, and it's so it's just completely orange in this parking lot that this uh, robot is just driving through merrily, and we get some music montage. I'm like, ba- in what movie da- 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 is there like something da- 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 similar to this type of style that happens in movies now that feels like just cut this out or what are we doing here? Um, I'm wondering what it will be of our contemporary filmmaking that will seem extremely 2010s or 2020s to well us. this movie seems aggressively know. padded to fill 90 minutes like there's just a lot of like let's go hang out with the cows let's swoop over tokyo let's like watch the computer graphics like oh, they man. they clearly were trying to fill the time yeah, which is funny tokyo because they pose a lot of questions that i would like to see the back half of the movie answer it's just it all gets yada yada away oh wait what like what please list your lingering unanswered questions about flight of the navigator uh so there's an alien species that i guess is based on technology that's creating a whole bunch of like copies of things and it hit a power line which caused its like memory to short circuit and then it gets its memory sort of like replaced with one of the subjects it's unwillingly kidnapped like but all it does is absorb the slang not like any of the trauma or shit (laughs) Like, I feel like there's a lot, or really anything with the family, like, the the brother stuff is kind of, like, really interesting, and that the brother feels guilty because the brother, like, scared him right before he went missing, and so for all he knew, he, like, scared him, and then they got, this kid brother got murdered. Like, he gets reintegrated into the family, not at all, because they have to ship him off to NASA, and I'm like, I feel like the whole movie could have been just him reintegrating with the family. And the spaceship oh, shows yeah. up at the end. And he's like, oops, sorry. Had to get my brain back. Come on, Navigator. <laughs> and it's like implied that the mom like has let herself go because she's got like worse hair. And it, couldn't, it lingers on both of his parents where she's like, look what happened to them. I couldn't yeah. figure out like 
Wait, hold what? on. I had the exact opposite reaction. Oh, really? Here. I was like, this mom got a glow up after Well, I mean, but like, I'm She's to, looking better. I'm looking at it from the mid-80s perspective, though, where you see her with like her big fluffy hair in the past, like she's wearing right. more makeup. Like, I don't, it just, it lingered on okay, the parents fair. long enough that I was just like, what are we supposed to be taking from this? No one can look better going from the 70s to 80s, is your point, which I totally I also, understand. And also, they look like the parents, they look like de-aged parents or, um, Aged up parents from Back to the Future. Yeah, I know. You yeah. can see the like lines of the makeup. That, like, <laughs> yeah. makes HD wrinkle. is doing that makeup job. Zero I'm, I'm yeah. also very curious as why this movie sets its first part in 1978 specifically. Because it's like, he's been gone eight years. And I'm like, such a weird number. If you're like, I understand, I understand his future being the 1986 the movie's released in. That lines up. But like, why? I don't it why. Has to, it must be to. It must have to do with get, uh, the casting the brother as older. Like you don't want him to be too much in older. Thirties. That would be that would be like a father son, huh? Thing. It's still it's still like teen. Yeah. When the brother gets to be what seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. It made me wonder because you know there's all these parts where he's like, is Dukes of Hazard still on? Like, do you want new Coker classic? Co- like, there's all these like jokes about like what's changed between 1978 and 1986, and I was like, okay, so if you made this movie now, that would be like 2013. Like, what or what would the things be being like? Whoa, things are so <laughs> different from. I mean, would, would it all just be Trump stuff? Like, is there anything fun that we? Wait, could what mean? happened in 2013? I don't oh, know, like, but like, hey, uh, can you turn Carol on? <laughs> <laughs> it would be like TikTok and like Donald Trump was president. It would just be bad mostly. I there must be some fun things that you could reference that we wouldn't have known about in 2013. High waisted pants. The kid would be like, "Hey, can you turn on Fighting in the War Room?" And they'd be like, "Yeah, it's been on this whole yeah. time." Uh, he'd be like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." We well, actually, they're still doing it. <laughs> it's, it's still, it's still a thing. It's still I get, going. It I get that really reference. Changed. Oh, it's called Fighting in the War Room now. Actually, I know. That- Good. Not Operation Keto. That's true. Turn, yeah, a, turn on Operation Keto. Oh, <laughs> oh, but what? Where have you what been, year? dude? From? Who do you think <laughs> the president the is? Also, I love that. Again, this intern's allowed to go into this room and be like, "You're a weird kid." <laughs> but she says that to him. I'm like, "This cannot be." See, he's been through some the shit. All right. I know. Get leave this kid alone. Um. Yeah, this movie is aggressively 80s. Uh, you you mentioned when the ship accidentally goes to Tokyo. There's some, uh, what I would call just casual racist moments in this movie. The moment they mentioned are. Tokyo, I was like, oh no. This they, is go to Tokyo, they go to Tokyo and hover over a crowd of people, and the people are, are accurately just like, oh, what's going on? There's a spaceship. And of course, it's a group of uh, Japanese people, so they are all holding flash cameras. <laughs> And pull it out like they are tourists for some reason. Yeah. Like, what like, is this Disney movie? They're like Stop. on their commute in their city. Where I know. They actually live. With their, and then with their photography grade cameras. <laughs> and then there's a scene where he, uh, David asks Max the robot to like turn on the radio, and uh, he's like, "Just play some rock music." And Max actually plays some classical music, and then he plays some just like Latin pop music. And yeah. David goes, no, no, no. my ears. Oh, <laughs> like, not that come Latin on. sound. Ah, no, he turn lived, on the Beach You live boys. in Florida, ah. you idiot. Have you not heard yeah, this music what before? A, what a dumb dumb. That would be in 2013. Is uh, dubstep was still a thing. So he'd be like, "Turn on that dubstep," and be like, "That's not a that's not a thing anymore." <laughs> like, where's Diplo? Is Diplo dubstep? Debbie Skrillex. Skrillex still alive? <laughs> <laughs> he is. He works with Justin Bieber now. 
He's into branded content. It would it would be yeah, it would be no! like Kanye West is the greatest genius of our time. We'd have to be like, ooh, didn't yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, been rough. Yeah, oh, man. Uh, I hope I don't go away for eight years. It's a lot. Um, I mean, at well, this my point, ma- I'd be fine with it. Well, I mean, one I'd thing be we haven't really talked m- about my teenage years. One thing we haven't really talked about is why did we watch this movie? Why did we and watch this movie? What made you? What were you thinking when you picked this movie, Dave? <laughs> and does it have to do... I mean, I thought a lot about our blockbuster quarter quill watching this, because mm-hmm. I was thinking about Independence Day, or thinking about Deep Impact, and how I felt weirdly moved by aspects of them in ways that I was surprised by, and um, I was weirdly moved by the first half of this movie, especially. But even things like um, them sizing up the or, or the spaceship for the first time, when NASA's like looking at computer screens, and man, all those old computer images, uh, vector images of spaceships really do... They work on me. Um, very susceptible to retro tech. Uh, but yeah, this movie is such a imitation of E.T. And there was a whole phase of this. Like, I don't know if you remember Daryl, that movie where there was a robot kid. His name was Daryl. And he was on the run. And uh, Explorers, that Ethan Hawke River Phoenix movie where they go to space because they build a spaceship somehow. Um, all of these movies are, are stuck in my brain. Flight of Navigator is one of them. They're not all very good, but... I don't know. I don't know why. Why this one for you? Um, I came up. Whether this was on my mind because recently for the Storm Podcast Patreon Movie Club, we had all watched Adventures in Babysitting, which was also mm. one of the VHS tapes that was around my house, so therefore got watched a lot. Uh, this I'm going to assume also was. It's definitely roll off from ET that gets me here. But the question is. Does little Dave walk through a video store or a blockbuster and see this fucking metal chair cover that this movie's stuck with that doesn't even have the fucking spaceship on it and go, I want to watch that? Or is it like literally recorded off television and that's just one of the VHSs that we have? And my mom's like, fucking put it in, put, a, put on that movie again with no stakes. Just let him watch the movie with no stakes again, mm-hmm. which I feel like what it is. I feel like. I was young enough, I was probably around David's age, so I'm already kind of like getting interested in movies. No, I was probably younger than David's age, so I was watching like Aliens and stuff at his age. So I'm probably like the little kid, the little kid's age, like eight or nine, and my mom's just like, watch this E.T., but even the scary parts of E.T. with the government and stuff aren't in Flight of the Navigator. Like, watch this soft E.T., I this made me want, it made me want to watch E.T. I haven't seen E.T. certainly since I've been a parent. I feel like it might break my brain to watch E.T. with all that like emotional weight in Why? it. Why? Just because I think it would just be like E.T. dies. They, they well, there's just him. all this like heartbreak about the family we struggling, see, about like kids having a hard time. I think it would be really like emotionally. You see Elliot wrenching. like dying on the yeah, like, on the slab. Well, like too. that's something like I don't want like Charlie as I keep talking about like I've been watching like more grown up movies. Like I'm not showing him E.T. for a while. I think that will fuck him up. Yeah, so but he could have like, seen the rest of this if he wanted fucking to. Me up just thinking about it. I right think, now. yeah, I think I could turn on the second half of Fly the Navigator for Charlie, and he liked that part of it with the spaceship and like flying around and everything. Maybe I'll give it a shot and report back. Yeah, I think Explorers would actually be the better stepping stone. I've never even heard of this Navigator. movie. This is totally this new is, to me. Yeah, this is Ethan Hawke and River Phoenix and Jerry O'Connell, maybe. Um, and they're just all like the little rascals, and they decide to build a spaceship and they go to space. And they meet these like big kissing aliens who 
you could imagine how that would really get my imagination the wrong way and just like freak me out <laughs> while also being weirdly sexual. I don't know. I was just, that stuck with me. And so they meet these aliens who are just big uh, puppet things, and they go on a big adventure. It's very cartoonish. Um, they're in like a bubble. Uh, according know. to very Wikipedia, Giordante uh, said the studio demanded that he stop editing and rush it for a July release where it was overshadowed by the Live Aid concert and stiff competition from Rough. Back to the Future, which had opened nine days prior. That's, that's not okay, good. Okay, so Explorers does predate Fly the Navigator. Yes, uh, it's 1985. Yes. Back when Alan Silvestri was still acoustic. <laughs> <laughs> you like you like his acoustic stuff better yeah I, I did like his acoustic stuff better <laughs> i mean i guess to wrap up is there anything like play the navigator now that uh, i don't know that feels like it's on the same wavelength that you get that danger i mean the, people complain about this all the time like where are these movies where are these like mm, pg movies i think robert kids, rodriguez but... is making all of them yeah when he's oh, not when I he's not making boba fett stuff yeah, Spy Kids or We Could Be Heroes or whatever. They're all Netflix they're all is. stuff I'm about to age into, I guess. I mean, I don't even know if like maybe there's kids TV shows that are like this, but like Stranger Things isn't that. Like that's kind of aiming toward a different audience, but like very much trying to like crib off the legacy of stuff like this. You know, you you mentioned TV, and if there are parental figures out there or people who want to blast from the past, I think something similar to this is um, we've been watching the old Magic School Bus and the new Magic School Bus, both good, which is all on Netflix. Yeah, and I guess the similar. Like, hey, we're going to go on a flight. We're going to go fly around yeah. something <laughs> as kids. And uh, Magic School Bus definitely fulfills that problem. New Magic School Bus is pretty good. It is It's basically good. the same <laughs> as the old one, honestly. They got rid of all the annoying characters, basically. I was really a sucker for that kind of thing. Like, I remember having to do, like, a report on Mars in third grade and, like, writing, like, a Magic School Bus style thing with my whole classroom. Like, that, that idea of being, like, I'm one kid being whisked off into the galaxy. Like, I, I love that thing. Well, before the podcast, you mentioned that Fly the Navigator has this almost like IMAX museum yeah. sensibility to it. And I think that's right. I mean, I think what works in its favor, even in the goofier half, is like kind of about science. Like they talk about star charts a lot and they talk about like going on an adventure and like seeing different parts of the world and him having to steer the ship. Um, maybe it's because uh, my daughter and I have been watching old Bill Nye the Science Guy episodes oh, recently, that's cool. uh, which is also super uh, kid-friendly uh, and, and retro, but yeah, it has this learning aspect that's not blunt. It's not educational film, of course, but it does the photography and the, the, the sensibility of his adventure, I think, is educational in some way. Science- stem friendly yeah i was thinking more about like when you would go and be like whoa here you are flying over the everglades and like right. showing like we went to the science museum in raleigh last weekend and they had one that's like like three-story like not quite imax but like dome screen things and they mm -hmm. because of covid like they weren't really showing a movie it was just kind of like showing pictures but i was like that was what it made me think of being like you're being immersed inside the film world except you're in a spaceship <laughs> i like i i mean it's just it's all it's charming, it's confusing, it's Fly the Navigator. The moment you're supposed to go like, ah, story concluded at the end of this movie, when he tells his little brother he loves him too, and the parents are like, what? <laughs> no, no little kid is going to say that to his little brother. And it's like, da-da-da-da-da-da. What did yeah. we learn? Yeah. Love your little brother? I feel like we should have learned something else, but apparently that's what we learned. That's a good question. Here with Fly the Navigator. Don't trust NASA? I mean, Dude, also, apparently a, weird, not. a weird time to be communicating that in the mid-80s. Like, why not? What? Okay. Yeah, this is before the Challenger explosion. <laughs> things were going relatively well. Thanks, Dear things Reagan, fear the space, 
the the Star Wars program. Yeah, the version of this now is just like, oh shit, Donald Trump was president, and like, oh, everyone has face masks on, and then it just like the the catch up to 2021 is just gonna be rough for all our 2013 Ooh. time travelers. Sorry, guys. You thought it'd be an easy trip, but I took you for a ride. Oh, the devil's on your side. Uh, that does it for this week's show. Next week we're talking about In the Heights. So you should watch it at home or go see it in a theater like I'm going to. Uh, get your shots and oh go. Oh, God, right. It's going to be on HBO Max. Yeah, I know. Uh, but, I mean, I've seen it already at home and I'm paying to see it again in the theater, which uh, shows you where I land on this, but also do it safely. I hope you all have your shots. Uh, and David will be back. And he loved the movie. Spoiler. So look forward to it. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, senior editor at Polygon.com. I'm also the producer of a brand new podcast, Galaxy Brains, hosted by Jonah Ray and Dave Schilling. Really good. Um, and I am on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to old episodes. We talked a little about the order quell that we just did with about blockbuster movies cannot be the better time to rewatch some of those and listen to that and you can do it on fighting in the worm.com when you got time and i'm dave gonzalez you can find me on twitter at da7e you could also find me on the storm a lost rewatch podcast where we rewatch lost we're in season six super fun and if you like this show and you don't want to hear about the royals then you should go on iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, and also, you should tune in next week to hear David read your review and see if he manages to say Sith Holocron. Don't help him. <laughs> and I want to emphasize the extent to which I know boring things about the Royals. It's really not going to be like the Crown. So you've been, I, I you've never been, doubted. You. You've been duly warned. Um, I am Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair and on the Little Goldman podcast where we are doing, uh, we're watching old movies too. And, uh, this week we're talking about all about Eve, which is nothing at all. Like what the navigator, I cannot come up with a single comparison, but very good. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich and we're all on Twitter at FITWR where I seriously would love to hear what you would tell a time traveler from 2013. That's not very depressing. Um, or you can answer this week's your own question, which was. In honor of In the Heights, what would a musical based on your hometown be called? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next I'm done.